This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. You know, our mission is to serve you with advice and information that empowers you to make better financial decisions in your life. And I'm going to get to some of your questions today in the podcast as I do each episode. But know that we have so many different ways for you to ramp up your knowledge and have advice you can trust from our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, our newsletter, if you follow us on social media. And as I mentioned yesterday, I'm so proud of our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, where for 31 years plus, we've provided one-on-one free advice and guidance available to you 30 hours each week. And if you go to clark.com slash CAC, you'll see how that works. In this episode, I spend a lot of time picking on Big Bad Cell. But there's something that Venmo does that could make it Big Bad Venmo. I'm going to tell you what you need to know and then do right away. And later, I am so excited about a signal the U.S. economy is throwing off that leads to optimism about the country and our economic future. I'll fill you in later. So Venmo, when it was set up, it was designed for friends hanging out together and all that. And the Venmo people came up with this idea, hey, social media's emerging is like a big deal. We're going to be a social media. So Venmo built into its nature over shares. It's showing who you're with, what you're doing, who you're paying, who's receiving payments from you, and then who's receiving payments from that person, and on like that. It's one big happy Venmo family. Except there are members of the Venmo family that are not nice people that are using all this information that is just automatically out there to get into your life and steal your money. It's been an ongoing concern of mine. In fact, we first wrote about this, I think, four years ago, about the dangers of how Venmo, by its nature, overshares. The good news is that it's really easy with Venmo to change the settings. You just have to do it, and almost nobody ever has. I don't even know if people think about the implications of people getting to see your personal life and financial transactions just laid bare before other people. I mean, one of the most important things is instead of oversharing, being careful when you ever share. And Venmo is set up by default to overshare. So all you got to do on an iPhone or Android is click on your profile. And then under your profile, you got to go a couple of menus, but it's quick. You go to your settings icon, looks like any other settings thing, and select privacy. 
and change your settings to private. Private. Don't share. Period. And we've got much more detail about this on our briefing about how to protect your privacy using Venmo on our briefing at Clark.com that we update from time to time just to make sure you're not putting yourself at danger of somebody emptying your wallet. And it goes without saying, if you use Venmo or Cash App, I don't even talk about somebody using Big Bad Zell, but if you use Venmo or Cash App, set up a separate account, best with an online bank where you just put in enough money to fund the transactions you're doing on Venmo or Cash App. Um, My wife has a Venmo, has a separate account for it, and it's all the money's in there is what she needs to pay people who want to be paid by Venmo. And you do that and you protect yourself. I use Venmo too. Um, So this is what it looks like for people. You have a feed, right? And I have my privacy locked down. So I'm seeing all these people that are maybe Facebook friends or whatever and what, who they're paying for what. See, mine has shows a locked sign, meaning it's private. Um, But like this guy that used to work here in the building paid somebody for a Super Bowl square. You can see, you know, where people went to dinner. They're paying for a phone. Somebody paid another friend for a neat martini. I mean, it's like. And so what happens is somebody can try to insinuate themselves into your life because they can learn enough about your social life that they can pretend to be a friend of a friend. They say, hey, yeah, I'm a friend of blah, blah, blah. They said I should look you up. I love going for martinis. More basic. Like, I don't want people knowing my business like that, you know? That I took a tennis lesson. <laughs> I just think it's weird. How did you play? Not well. Oh, sorry. Not well. All right. We'll go to questions. This first one involves Venmo, and I don't know that this one is a scam. I just want to tell you. Matthew in Tennessee says, scam alert and privacy tip for you. Someone on Facebook Marketplace arranged a meetup time, would pay in advance, and send their sister. They said they needed my email address since they're sending from a Venmo business account. Suspecting a scam, I sent them an anonymous email address. Sure enough, I got an email from quote-unquote Venmo saying, you got the money, log in here to accept it. I asked the police if they want me to go ahead with the pickup appointment so they can nab this miscreant, but they said since no money has actually changed hands, they can't arrest him. So he will sadly continue to prey on people in my area. Listeners, beware of this double scam. Email or phishing to clean out your financial account, and if you fall for it, they can show up and get your prepaid item for you for free. Bonus tip, use DuckDuckGo's free disposable email service anytime you need to give email addresses and never worry about getting spammed if your email address gets out from data breaches. Mozilla, Simple Login, and Proton offer similar services, but DuckDuckGo is unlimited free. And if it's free, it's for me. All right, so first let me deal with what you said last. DuckDuckGo is such a great organization that nobody knows about. DuckDuckGo has where you can do searches, Instead of using Google for your searches, use DuckDuckGo, and they're not tracking everything you do. Uh, They do feed ads, but they've got to pay for the operation. But everything about DuckDuckGo from the day it started is about protecting your privacy and offering a whole suite of services for free through DuckDuckGo. And they have a number of, I'm glad they're out there, competitors now doing different parts of this trying to help keep you free from prying eyes of big data, I recommend 
doing things like that. Okay, so what's the big problem here with this from the very beginning, the Facebook marketplace thing? What's my number one rule? You only use Venmo for family and friends, never for strangers. You use Cash App only for family and friends, never for strangers. All the scams that happen through Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or eBay or anything like that, when somebody's asked to pay through one of these apps, the problem is you don't have consumer protections with these apps. The scammers make off with the money. It becomes essentially untraceable. Your money's gone. And I know you're looking at me like your face is contorting. (laughs) The purpose of these apps, the only safe purpose, is not to use them the way you use them a lot, Krista. I disagree on this one. I've used Facebook Marketplace a ton. So this could be a scam. I'm not saying, but it it isn't definitely a scam. So if you're getting paid especially, because it was a throwaway email address, there's no way that he has a Venmo account with that email address. So recently I was selling an item locally and I only do local pickup I meet in a public place and the lady really wanted it but she couldn't get it till the next day I had other people in line asking about it so I told her sorry I have someone who wants to meet up today and she said I really want it can I send you the money through Venmo and then I'll pick it up tomorrow and I said absolutely but the risk the risk is on the buyer not on the seller right and in this case as well it would be the same thing so but at the same time you don't want to get an email from Venmo and then have to log in through some random thing like you right. actually want to give them your your Venmo email address and then she did pay me like I wouldn't pay someone randomly like you said I wouldn't pay in advance like this lady did with me but she did. We had some mutual friends on Facebook so I think she felt safer. However, one scam I am seeing on Facebook Marketplace because I have been using it a lot is immediately when someone wants to text you off the Facebook Marketplace app they want to text you separately. They want you to text them. Don't do it. It's usually a scam, the same kind of thing. So it's bad. But someone paying you with Venmo, if you do have an account in advance, I think is okay. It is on them. You know, It is on them. But, but what are we talking about? We're talking about the risk of using Venmo or Cash App or Big Bad Zell. Mm-hmm. You pay somebody you don't know. And that money can take a one-way trip because there's no consumer protection. Right. No, I'm I'm with you, but I just think like this case, I don't know that it was a scam. Okay. Joseph in New Hampshire says, I've never heard you talk about the devices that car insurance companies have you install in your vehicle. I have State Farm and decided to try it. It saved me $80 per six months. What are your thoughts on these devices? My only concern is the tracking, yet anytime you have your phone with you, you're being tracked. Thanks for all Team Clark does. Okay, so they have you plug it in, usually through the device right under your dash, tracks how you drive. What they're looking at, rapid lane changes, jackrabbit stops and starts. They want to see, are you somebody who's an accident waiting to happen? Some of the devices are more sophisticated. They're looking for the time of day you're driving, where there might be higher risk. They're using all kinds of formulas to set higher or lower premiums A lot of the insurers to get you to put one in say your insurance can only go down from this, not up. Ultimately, though, insurers want to have prying eyes on you all the time. Some of the apps only track how much you drive. And we talked before about, I think it's Mile Auto. Mm -hmm. It's an insurance provider that only charges you by the mile. They found that the number one predictor of an accident is the more miles you drive, the more opportunity there is going to be you're in an accident, your fault or somebody else's. So they just charge you per mile. So it depends on the insurer 
how they're using this technology, whether it's your driving style is setting your rates or other factors also part of it, or just as simply how many miles you drive. It's your choice if you're willing to have the intrusion. Matt in Vermont says, I own a rental condo property that I bought as my first house when I was 18 in 2008. 18! I'm now approaching 36. Wait, I thought I did so well at 21. He beat me by three years. I'm now approaching 36 in a new house I built six years ago. Recently, I saw a listing showing the neighbor's condo sold for just over 300000 I bought mine for one hundred and fifty-two k and still hold about a $90,000 mortgage on it. I've never had any issue with tenants, and the current I'm currently getting twenty one sixty a month with an annual increase. Recent research is telling me I could get rented out for even more. The rent more than covers the expenses, and I'm making money on the property, but I'm seeing what the neighbors sold. It's definitely making me wonder if I should cash out and invest somewhere else. With that said, we've been wanting to put an attached garage on our home, and I'm willing to bet it will cost about half the profit from the sale of the rental, still leaving us with a good amount of money to either save, pay down the current home mortgage, or invest. What do you think? Okay, your tenant's paying $2,160. You realize the market says you should be charging more. Uh, the most conservative formula you would base, not on what you paid for it, but what it's worth now. So based on what you paid for it, this rental is a home run for you. You're getting so much rent versus what you paid all those years ago in 2008. And the marketplace would say, this would be a great investment at 3000 a month in rent. Don't know how much you can move it up from the 2160 But obviously, you think you should be charging more. I would not rush to sell this one. I don't think the case is compelling yet to sell it. In the case of the first property I ever bought, it went up by a factor of, it was eight worth eight times what I originally paid for it by the time I sold it. And the math as a rental just no longer worked. You're in the range. You're making net decent money every month from having the rental. It is like a side business for you. And then you don't have a, a clear plan what you would do next with the money, I'd stay in for now. I think you got something good going. And you are someone who at 18 figured out a way to come up with a great business generating income for you. I think that's wonderful. And speaking of which, I love entrepreneurs. And I'm going to talk about that straight ahead. Okay, I am a born entrepreneur. And I believe so much that one of the things that has made the U.S. economy the most dynamic in the world year after year, decade after decade, is this spirit we have in the United States of going out on your own, risking it all in order to make great things happen in your life. And is an entrepreneur always going to succeed? No way. That wouldn't be entrepreneurship. If you started something and you were automatically going to be a success, there is risk. There is risk of failure. There is risk of not necessarily failing, but not really doing great with it or realizing, you know, I thought that was a good idea at the time. Not really. So you don't know, but it takes that incredible optimism to go out there with everybody telling you why you shouldn't 
your belief in self and your idea, your product, your service, you go out there and do it. That creates the economic dynamism in the United States. Think about these big companies that everybody loves to hate now, the big tech companies. How did they all start? I mean, it's crazy when you think about they started with typically one, two, three people who just had an idea. Michael Dell building computers in his dorm room at University of Texas and then selling them off to students. And all different kinds of things people do as entrepreneurs. It's something that creates this vitality. Think about how many American companies are the envy of the world that became big things. But think also all the small businesses where people have ended up financially secure because they took that chance and they're serving a need in the marketplace for a service, a product, whatever. Why am I going on and on about this? Because new data out shows that we have had the greatest number of startups in the United States ever in the last year. That is just music to my ears. Because the next wave of economic dynamism in the U.S., the next household names come out of each era of groundswell entrepreneurship. And it will be businesses of all sizes. Again, failure is part of the mix. But when there's something that you believe in, the marketplace is missing a particular product or service, or you feel people aren't seeing how to do it better, and you have that idea, go for it. Go for it. You know, you'll find a lot of people who were entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial opportunity didn't work out. It's still ultimately, maybe not right then, but over their lifetime, benefited them in what happened through the rest of their lifetime. I just believe in it through and through. I've had a number of people mention, so I'm going to do it to myself again, The thing I was doing in college to make money in addition to working full-time that I had no idea I was committing a felony. Do you remember what that was? Were you like buying cigarettes? I was buying cigarettes. I was going to college at night and working full-time during the day in Washington, D.C. I would take orders from people and I'd go to Virginia, which had just about the lowest cigarette tax in the country. And I'd buy cartons and come back and sell either by the carton or by the pack. And I was making good money doing it. Only later did I find out that I was committing a crime, Mm. bootlegging cigarettes from Virginia, avoiding the D.C. tax and selling them at a markup. So entrepreneurship (laughs) is not always on the correct side of the law. And ignorance of the law is no excuse. <laughs> Statue of limitations, I'm sure, long ran out on yeah. me doing that. Oh, uh, well. I used to buy cigarettes at what was, uh, by the carton, 27 cents a pack. Wow. I don't even know what cigarettes cost now. I feel like you buy a pack, it's like 6 eight, ten dollars I have I no idea. Anyway, Let's all go. those ill-gotten gains I made. <laughs> Eric in Florida says, what's your opinion of AutoTrader's private seller exchange service? Is it a good way for both the buyer and seller to protect themselves? Also, is PSX's option to require an inspection prior to purchase sufficient to verify the condition of the vehicle? Okay, first of all, 
I've never talked about this on the podcast. I've talked about it in other media. So I'm remiss never talking about the auto trader, uh, private exchange, private seller, seller exchange, exchange service. service. So what happens is as a seller, you're paying a 1% commission plus potentially other expenses to sell in a system as close as it could mimic what it would be like you being a little micro dealer selling a vehicle. You know you're getting real money from the buyer. The buyer knows they're dealing with a real seller, not a crook. The auto trader exchange is a very clever idea. Don't know how much market penetration it's had. The inspection is part of it. There's no way to know how good that inspector is, how thorough they are, and whether the inspection that's part of this whole deal is going to be good enough to know that the car you're buying is in good condition that's not going to break down on the road. It is a, it's definitely the right idea. I'm incapable of saying it absolutely is a high quality good inspection. Just no way for me to know. But I love the thinking behind this at Auto Trader. JD in California says, we all know that your favorite retirement investments are target date funds. What are your thoughts on BlackRock's new target date ETFs? I'd like to invest in a TDF through my brokerage account, but fear that the bonds included may trigger taxable events. Would the new target date ETFs be a possible solution? So uh, when you read the prospectus on these, JD, you'll see they say over and over and over again, these are for retirement account investing. They don't use the word account. They say for retirement investing. So they're not claiming that going into their ETF version of a target date fund is going to avoid potential tax expenses you have with others. They make no such claims. And the thing about target date funds, because they, over the decades, change the mix of investing, you're going to have triggered taxable events unless they specifically engage in a strategy known as tax loss harvesting. And I've not read anything in their prospectus that says they're trying to minimize or eliminate capital gains taxes through holding periods by doing tax loss harvesting. If you find out they are, then that would be a safer choice to own one in an investment account. But the whole purpose of target date funds and the way they're structured is to be a holding inside a 401k, Roth IRA, traditional IRA, some form of sheltered account, not in a traditional investment account. The fees are extremely low though. Nate in Missouri says, I have what may be a dumb question. What is the difference between the Fortune 500 and the S&P 500? Clark mentioned the, quote, 500 biggest companies as a standard index fund investment, but I'm confused about which he meant and also what the difference between the two is. I hear people talk about Fortune 500 companies, but not really S&P 500 companies. Is there an index fund for both of them and separately maybe? Sorry, I know it's probably a basic question, but I'm just trying to learn. It's not a basic question. It's a really smart one. So the difference between the two. The S&P 500 is designed to be the 500 largest publicly traded companies. 
there are a lot of very large companies in the United States that are privately held. They are not publicly traded. So the Fortune 500 includes uh, their guesstimate of the 500 largest companies. Why do I say guesstimate? Because a lot of privately held companies, they're guessing. They don't know their actual size, but they're getting it close. So you can't buy an index of the Fortune 500 because a lot of those companies out of that 500 are privately owned, either by an entity, private wealth, private family, whatever. But the S&P 500 is only publicly traded companies, and they are similar holdings, if you could hold all pieces of the S&P 500. They're, they're pretty similar, so you're fine. You're really getting the core of American capitalism when you own an S&P 500 fund. My preference through the years, though, has been the total stock market index fund where you own big companies, small companies, and mid-sized companies all in one holding. And there's a number of reasons I do that. And I can get into if that became important to someone for me to explain. But I use that instead of a 500 stock fund. And thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. I hope you learned something that is helpful to you in your life. And remember what we're trying to accomplish here with everything we do, that you learn ways to take more control by learning to save more, spend less, and always avoid getting ripped off.